This is the Hockey Podcast Network, your home for hockey talk on every team in the NHL. Welcome to the Hockey Hotbed, presented as always by the Hockey Podcast Network. My name is Nick Berlansky. I'm your host, and we have a really good show for you today. Obviously, plenty of news throughout the National Hockey League all week long. We will have two jam-packed coast-to-coast segments starting in a few minutes, but I wanted to talk to you about the rest of the show as well. We have a coast-to-coast in segment one. We have coast-to-coast in segment two, and then we'll finish off the show the way that we finish off every Friday show with our three stars of the week. So let's get it started from coast to coast, from west to east, all across the NHL. Let's talk all the biggest storylines in the National Hockey League, starting in Vancouver. The Canucks underperforming all season long. In the last episode, if you want to go back and take a listen to that, I spoke about the firing of Jim Benning and, and head coach Travis Green, and also a couple other names in the Vancouver Canucks organization. The winds of change were hitting Vancouver, and they're good wins. Early results are good for the Vancouver Canucks. They're 2-0 since that coaching change. Bruce Boudreaux coming in, there was almost like it was a breath of fresh air in Vancouver. Obviously, Boudreaux is a very likable human being. As far as a coach is concerned, he's great at the mic. He's great behind the bench. He's one of the best regular season coaches in NHL history. That continues in Vancouver. Like I mentioned, 2-0 since the coaching change. A 4-0 win in his debut on Monday at home against the LA Kings. And then on Wednesday, they continued it with a 2-1 shootout win against the Boston Bruins. Nice to see guys like Brock Besser... Getting going. JT Miller continues to have a hot season. But it's exactly what we expected to see once Boost Boudreaux took over there. The team feels a little bit more relaxed. A little bit less on their shoulders. They're playing easy hockey and they're 2-0. Good signs to come in Vancouver. Now, is all fixed? No, there's still issues with that team. There's still issues with that roster. But are we going to see them play up to their potential a little bit more? It'd be nice. So far, so good up there. And then Thursday, even more news out of Vancouver as they hire former Pittsburgh Penguins general manager Jim Rutherford as their president of hockey operations and technically the interim general manager now. He's he's going to be making the decisions probably until he can get his own guy in there as general manager. Now, let's not all forget that Jim Rutherford just walked away from Pittsburgh at the beginning of this year. It really hasn't even been that long. It was 11 months ago. He walked away from the Pittsburgh Penguins organization, citing you know health reasons. He never really actually gave an actual reason as to why he left. But you figured it was a combination of he's one of the oldest general managers in the league. COVID is still a big issue. I mean, COVID's still an issue now. And it just seemed like it was getting close to time for him to leave. So he takes that time off. Now he's back. We thought maybe as president of hockey operations, that's where he'd come back, and it's exactly where 
he signed on in the role for the Vancouver Canucks, but he is still taking on general manager responsibilities until he can get his guy in there. So normally, if you go back to his time in Pittsburgh, it would be, okay, you're building for Stanley Cups. Hope you don't like your first round picks because he will be trading them away. But in a position here in Vancouver where, you know, it's up to him. Is it a year to go for it? They have a good team on paper, but they've had a really poor start to the season. They've underperformed the past two seasons. Do you think this is a team that can go to the postseason? And if so, does Jim Rutherford make moves to add pieces? Or does he follow along with what we all expected the Canucks to be doing this year and start trading away pieces like JT Miller? Maybe even a Connor Garland is on the trade block. Who knows? We'll have to see what Jim Rutherford is looking to do with the Vancouver Canucks organization. But the good thing about J.R., is uh, he will let it be known what he thinks about this organization. You would think it's going to take him a month or two to evaluate what he has, but he will let it be known what he likes about his organization, what he doesn't like about his organization, and what he's looking to do. So at least we'll have some transparency when it comes to the moves made by the Vancouver Canucks. Uh, 2-0 since those full sell changes and since the installation of Bruce Boudreaux as head coach. Uh, Let's move on to the next topic, and that is Marc-Andre Fleury. How can you not like Marc-Andre Fleury? There is a fraction of the NHL fan base that just really doesn't like him. Uh, I would probably have to say like Washington fans, Philadelphia fans, uh, bitter Pittsburgh Penguins fans that he doesn't play for Pittsburgh anymore. I would think that that's also a faction there. But for the most part, people like Marc-Andre Fleury because he's a nice guy. You know, he's always smiling. He's always been like that for the, what, 18 years that he's been in the National Hockey League. Well, a nice night for Fleury on Thursday evening. In his home province of Quebec against the Montreal Canadiens, he records his 69th career shutout, a 2-0 victory for the Chicago Blackhawks over the Montreal Canadiens. But even more importantly, Marc-Andre Fleury hits the 500-win mark as a National Hockey League goaltender, a mark that has only been hit by two other goaltenders in the history of the National Hockey League. Obviously, that's Patrick Waugh with 551 career wins. That's Martin Brodeur with 691. He leads all goaltenders in the history of the National Hockey League. So Marc-Andre Fleury sits in third place, hits 500 career wins. That is obviously fantastic company to keep. I talked with Doug Gladkey here on the show before the season started about whether or not Marc-Andre Fleury is a Hall of Famer. We both agreed that he is. Go back and listen to that episode if you want to hear our opinions on several other 2010s goaltenders, including Henrik Lundqvist and Roberto Luongo and Jonathan Quick and Corey Crawford. We talk about all those guys, but specifically, we also talked about Marc-Andre Fleury, and we both came to the assumption that he's going to be a Hall of Famer. I mean, the Vezina Trophy last year, 500 career wins now. Possibly, I mean, you never know how much longer he's going to play. This is the last year of his contract in Chicago. He might even get traded from Chicago at some point this season, but you never know if he's going to continue playing past this year. You would think that if he does, there's a good chance that he passes Patrick Waugh for second all-time in wins. It would be very difficult for him to pass Marty Broder. But still, a Hall of Fame guy, very much decorated goaltender, and somebody that everybody loves. For him to do that, and basically his hometown team, He grew up in Quebec, so to do that in Montreal, obviously the Habs fans were loving it. Chicago mauled him at the end of the net, and a 69th career shout-out to boot. It's a great night for Marc-Andre Fleury and supporters 
of the flower, Marc-Andre Fleury. 500 wins split between three teams, the Pittsburgh Penguins, the Vegas Golden Knights, and now eight wins with the Chicago Blackhawks gets them to that mark. So congratulations one last time to Marc-Andre Fleury. The next topic is uh, not really a positive topic. It's it's a topic that's kind of ran around hockey Twitter all week, and it circles around Jacob Truba, a defenseman for the New York Rangers. He's had huge hits, monster hits that have... They've injured the recipients in back-to-back games. Usually, if you see a huge hit like we saw Truba have on Jujar Kara last weekend against the Chicago Blackhawks, Usually you don't see one from that player that quickly, but the next game he did the same exact thing that, to Nathan McKinnon. He absolutely lit him up and sent McKinnon out of the game for a, a little bit of a time. At least McKinnon's was not nearly as bad. But of course, uh, let's go through it here. First hit on Jujar Kara against the Chicago Blackhawks. He, that was a scary hit. I mean, Kara was knocked out cold on the ice. He was motionless. You could tell that he was unconscious. It was a scary, scary sight. Uh, Kara was then stretchered off, taken to the hospital, but it seems like he will make a full recovery at this point. Uh, obviously, nobody knows when he would return to hockey, but that's not the story right now. The story is making sure that he's healthy. Uh, it was a huge hit. Truba immediately uh, went and fought Riley Stillman later in that game, so uh, he he faced the music for injuring a player. Uh, there was not a penalty called on that, though, and we'll get to that, whether or not these hits were legal, whether or not... Truba should be facing disciplinary action for these hits. Um, but he he did fight Riley Stillman, get five minutes for fighting in that. Fessed up to the music because when you injure a player, most of the time you're going to have to answer the bell with a fight. And that's what Truba did. A couple days later, though, pretty much almost the same exact hit. You know, player skating with his head down. Truba steps up, makes a huge hit. There is a little bit of head contact. And Nathan McKinnon leaves the game. He does come back into that game, though. McKinnon was not knocked out cold as Kara was, um, but he came back. Same thing, no penalty on Jacob Truba on the call, and then he fought uh, Gabe Landeskog right afterwards. So again, these huge hits, do I necessarily agree that every time there is a massive hit that there needs to be a fight? No, I don't think so. I, I think that's, you know, if you get hit like that, obviously the Jujar Kara hit is a different situation where the guy's literally knocked out cold, but if you take a big hit in the NHL, just in general, there does not need to be a fight after that. You got laid out. That's what happened. That, that That's my belief. I don't think there always has to be a fight following one of these massive collisions. But again, like I said, different situation when you look at the Jujar Kara situation. You would think that there would have to be obviously a fight when there's an injury like that on the ice. So again, no penalty on each of these hits for Jacob Truba. Everybody has their opinion on it. I agree that there was, should not have been a penalty called on either of these actually. You know, it might make me look bad. There was head contact. I do notice that. I've watched both of them extensively, and I actually read the the rule book, and I'll read it here for everybody so you can make your own judgments. I mean, hit to the head, head contact is defined in Rule 48.1 for the NHL, and it is as such. Quote, a hit resulting in contact with an opponent's head where the head was the main point of contact and such contact to the head was avoidable is not permitted. In determining whether contact with an opponent's head was avoidable, the circumstances of the hit, including the following, shall be considered. First of all, whether the player attempted to hit squarely through the opponent's body and the head was not picked as a result of poor timing, poor angle of approach, or unnecessary extension of the body upward or outward. 
That's the first caveat. Second caveat, whether the opponent put himself in a vulnerable position by assuming a posture that made head contact on an otherwise full body check unavoidable. And the third one, whether the opponent materially changed the position of his body or head immediately prior to or simultaneously with the hit in a way that significantly contributed to the head contact. So that's the rule from the NHL. When I look at both of these hits by Jacob Truba, I can see a little bit of each caveat and literally both hits. Now, Kara's, his head was down. He was kind of hunched over at first and then he extended and stood up, which is where his head made contact with Truba's shoulder. So it, it was Truba's shoulder and you could see also in both hits it looked like Truba made contact with also the chest of both players simultaneously with the head. So the head was not the full brunt of the contact there. So I don't know. It, it's tough. When you look at these calls, obviously the NHL looked at both of it. There's no disciplinary action for Jacob Truba as of right now. The only things that he, he got were the five-minute majors for fighting in both instances. Do I think they were dirty hits? No, I don't think they were. And I think a lot of people would tend to agree that those were not dirty hits. They were just unfortunate hits and big hits where yeah, it's unavoidable in the fact that he could have seen that the guy's head was down and not hit him. But at the same time, that's hockey. You know, if, if you're skating with your head down more times than not, you're going to get hit, especially in the National Hockey League. Now, am I saying that Jujar Kara deserved to get put on a stretcher for having his head down? No. I would say that getting hit in that situation is his fault. The way that he got hit is not. You know, it, it's unfortunate the way that he landed on the ice with his head hitting without him basically being conscious enough to be able to protect himself in that fashion. It's unfortunate that he was basically out cold upon contact with Jacob Truba's shoulder. You don't want to see that. And there is part that is obviously responsible in Truba's eyes, but at the same time, that's a hit where, unfortunately, he made head contact. If he hits just the chest, that's a hit that is 100% clean as day. The only reason it's a question is because he made that head contact, he knocked Kara out cold, and obviously the resulting injury is massive. So you hope for the best for Jujar Kara, and also you hope that Nathan McKinnon doesn't have any resounding effects from that hit. But in my opinion, neither of those hits, as far as the rules that I just read off, neither of those hits seem like they need to be taken into a further look for for suspension or fine reasons. I think Truba is probably fine in both of those. So we're going to take a quick break here at the Hockey Hotbed. When we return, we're going to continue with our Coast to Coast segment, a couple off-the-ice storylines to go through across the NHL. And then after that, of course, we have the Hockey Hotbed, three stars of the week. Keep it right here on the Hockey Hotbed. Football fans, I'm sure we all love an action-packed, high-scoring NFL game. But with the latest no-brainer from DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL, you'll be a winner once a single point is scored. New customers who bet just $1 on any team to score can win $100 in free bets. It's that simple. If Sportsbook isn't available in your state yet, you can still get in on all the NFL action. Everyone can play for huge cash prizes all season long with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Sports Contests. DraftKings is giving all new customers a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code THPN. Bet $1 
on any team to score and win $100 in free bets if they score. If they score, you score with promo code THPN this week at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only, new customers only. Minimum $5 deposit and $1 wager required, one per customer. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Welcome back to the Hockey Hotbed, presented as always by the Hockey Podcast Network. I'm your host, Nick Berlansky, and we're going to continue to go coast to coast with the biggest storylines across the National Hockey League. We talked about some on-ice storylines in the first segment. Again, congratulations to Marc-Andre Fleury on his 500th career victory. Somebody who grew up a Pittsburgh Penguins fan in the era of Marc-Andre Fleury. Uh, it's nice to see him get even more accolades, so I hope that continues. And next up for him would probably be whether or not he can make Team Canada and potentially start for Team Canada in the Olympics. That would be the first time he would make the team as a starter, but he has made the team as a backup in the past. But to continue here with storylines across the league in our Coast to Coast segment, uh, huge, huge weekend for the NHL as far as off the ice is concerned with the NHL Board of Governors meetings that are underway currently in Florida couple of things that have already come out from that. They have already pushed through the sale of the Pittsburgh Penguins to Fenway Sports Group. So officially, the Penguins have been sold. We expected that to happen as soon as the Board of Governors met. Obviously, they're happy with this. It's a little bit more stability for the National Hockey League's Pittsburgh Penguins, financially especially because the Fenway Sports Group is just a financial juggernaut. So to have them behind the Penguins is stability for one of the NHL's franchises. Of course, they're going to be happy with that. And the sale goes through at a reported $900 million. So Penguins officially sold to the Fenway Sports Group for $900 million. And the other thing that is on the docket that everybody is really going to be looking at right now is going to be the Olympics. The NHL, from this day, exactly, has one month to decide whether or not they want to pull out of the 2022 Beijing Olympics without financial, financial consequence. If they decide to pull out after that, they're going to have to pay, and you know that's not what they want to do. They want to make that decision way before. So you would imagine that the Board of Governors meeting is them talking about the risks, the pitfalls, what they need to see here in this last month, whether or not they want to pull out of the Olympics. As of right now, all signs point to NHL players playing in the Olympics. But we'll see, especially after this weekend, what the vibe is coming out of the NHL Board of Governors meeting. One other huge storyline from off the ice this week. And of course, it's the Arizona Coyotes in a negative light in the news cycle. The Coyotes were almost locked out of their home arena, Gila River, this week. Uh, they were almost locked out due to delinquent and unpaid city and state taxes that totaled roughly $1.3 million. Now, as of this moment, they are paid in full, so they're not going to get locked out. They paid up. This is not a huge deal. You know, it's a bigger deal because it is the Arizona Coyotes. It is already their last season at Gila River Arena, and now they were almost locked out in the middle of the season. It's not a good look, but it's not a big deal. This is like if you miss a rent payment on the first of the month, and they tell you on the fifth of the month that, hey, we're going to give you a late fee if you don't pay up, and you're like, oh, sorry, I literally just forgot it was the first of the month, and then you pay it. So 
it, it's not a huge deal. The Coyotes are citing uh, personal error. Human error. Okay, that's fine. It's just another thing that is negatively putting the Arizona Coyotes in the spotlight. They're already not having a good season on the ice. Off the ice, it was already going to be a tough season because Gila River Arena is not having them back. Glendale is not having them back. So they have to find a new home. Obviously, they want to make a new arena in Tempe. There's thoughts that that might happen. But even if so, they're going to have to be playing at random arenas at least next season for their home games. It's not a great look, but this was just unnecessary. I mean, the local ordinances in Hillary River Arena, they put this out there to put pressure on the Coyotes so they can get their money. It's kind of a crappy move, kind of a shady move, especially when you're kind of basically already evicting them. You're not signing a new contract. So, yeah, yeah, no, it's not a huge deal. It's just unfortunate that once again, the Arizona Coyotes are brought into a negative light because of something off the ice. You know, this this all really started a couple years ago. You had the the Chica situation where they got docked draft picks because of stuff they were doing and prospects and everything there. That was negative. Add on the fact that they haven't been really a successful team on the ice since the early 2010s. Add on to the fact that they're already fighting an uphill battle because they're in Arizona a tough market to make it that is is growing. Let's not forget that it is a growing market, but it's not an easier market to have it grow in. They have to obviously work a little bit harder than any Canadian market. And then you have all the stuff with the arena, everything that's going on. It's not been a good decade for the Arizona Coyotes. We hope there are better times to come. We know that they have the backing of the NHL commissioner, Gary Bettman. So they're not going anywhere, which is good. They have the backing that they need from the NHL office. They just need to start getting into the into the public eye and into the news cycle for positive things and not $1.3 million worth of taxes that are delinquent and unpaid. But they're, they're paid up now, so we'll see what happens with that situation. Obviously, keep track of the Arizona Coyote situation. We'll have to see what happens after this year because, as I mentioned several times, this is even their last season at Gila River Arena. After this year, they, they technically don't have a home. So hopefully they they get that arena built in Tempe and they have a permanent home, something positive for the Coyotes, and hopefully they they win some more games. I know month number two in November was much better than month number one, but that's only because the first month of the season was historically bad for the Arizona Coyotes. So I'm going to take a quick break. When I return, we're going to finish off this episode of the Hockey Hotbed with our three stars of the week. We'll be right back. Hockey fights, lifestyle, and tales from a first-round draft bust? We have it all and more on the Hockey Podcast Network, your home for boutique hockey content and podcasts covering every team in the NHL. Welcome back to the Hockey Hotbed Podcast, presented as always by the Hockey Podcast Network, as well as DraftKings. Make sure you use promo code THPN at the DraftKings Sportsbook app for great odds and opportunities. We're going to finish off this episode with our three stars of the week, as we like to finish off 
every Friday episode. I know we missed a couple Fridays, but we're trying to get better. A quick shout-out before we get into this, because he's not a third star. Not, not a top three star in the league. I have three other guys and three other names that I want to go through. But a shout-out to Nathan Walker. Called up on Wednesday. Scores a hat trick on Thursday for the St. Louis Blues. And a nice 6-2 win for them over the Detroit Red Wings at home. So, good on Nathan Walker. All 5'9", 186 pounds of them. Some short hockey players. We got to love when short hockey players succeed. Especially when they're the same height as me. So, shout out to him. 27-year-old Nathan Walker scores a hat trick in his first game after being called up by the St. Louis Blues. But he does not get one of the three stars this week. I thought about throwing him in there as maybe a third star, but I decided against it. So let's start the hockey hotbed three stars of the week with number three, Ryan Johansson of the Nashville Predators. When I think of Ryan Johansson, I think of a very successful early career with the Columbus Blue Jackets. I think of a guy that was said to be one of the up-and-coming premier centers in the National Hockey League. Then he gets traded to Nashville, and we all think, okay, it's interesting, interesting trade. We'll see what happens there. And I feel like he's kind of just faded back. You know, the, the talent was not quite where it was for the hype at the beginning of his career. But he's been a pretty consistent player for the Nashville Predators. He's been one of their top players. He's been one of their leaders there. And he's had a good week. The Nashville Predators themselves have had a good week as they are currently on a three-game win streak. They're one of the teams that have kind of proven me wrong. I thought coming into this season that the Predators were not going to be successful at all. I, I didn't expect the Predators to have a good year in the Central Division. But they've, they've proven me wrong. They're, they're sitting right up there around the top four of their division, which is where you need to be in December. And they're playing pretty good hockey. Like I mentioned, a three-game win streak as of right now. And Ryan Johansson himself, two goals and six points in those three games. So two points per game, playing some pretty good hockey. Scored a goal in their last game against the New York Islanders who once again lost at UBS Arena. They still haven't won at UBS Arena, but they did end their losing streak earlier this week. So shout out to them for that. Also shout out to the New Jersey Devils for ending their four-game losing streak, getting a victory in their New Jersey jerseys, which I still like. I do. And now that only leaves in the Metro, by the way, the Philadelphia Flyers, who are now on a 10-game losing streak. So, but back to the uh, the Predators. They're playing well. Ryan Johansson himself has played well the last week so he gets my third star of the week congratulations to him and we'll see if the Predators can keep this up I'm generally intrigued by their season so far my second star and the first time I'm giving a star to a Pittsburgh Penguin my second star of the week goes to Jake Gensel currently leading the Pittsburgh Penguins in goals and points which is I mean considering Malkin hasn't played a game and Crosby's missed a lot of time makes a little bit of sense that's who you would expect to have stepped up and taken the lead in those areas but specifically, he's been on a, on, a, on a streak as of late. I mean, 13-game point streak. Insane to begin with. And in the last two games played, he has scored five goals and seven points in just two games. He's been on fire and fuego. But unfortunately, in Monday night's game against the Seattle Kraken, the last time the Pittsburgh Penguins were in action, he took a block shot off the hand, went down the tunnel, didn't look good. It looked like it really affected him. But then he came out and played the rest of the game. Not only did he play the rest of the game, he scored a really, really nice goal in the third period where he went top shelf on Joey Decord, blocker side. Beautiful goal. 
But then he misses practice on Wednesday. And then after practice, head coach Mike Sullivan says that he's going to be week to week with an upper body injury. Well, it's, it's pretty obvious that his upper body injury is that hand injury. You think maybe he pulled something, maybe he broke one of those little bones, but if he broke one of those bones, it would have to be surgery most likely and probably would be a lot longer than week to week. So hopefully he returns soon, but he was on a heater. 13 game, like I mentioned, 13 game point streak. He was one of the toughest players to, to stop in the NHL this past couple of weeks. Five goals, seven points in two games played for him. Unfortunately, he's out, but he does get the second star of the week from the hockey hotbed. Finishing off with the first star of the week. I already talked about the New York Rangers a little bit with the Jacob Truba situation. I already talked about milestones a little bit with the Marc-Andre Fleury 500th career win. Let's talk about something else. 500th career point for Artemi Panarin, the bread man, who is my number one star of the week for the hockey hotbed. Three goals, eight points, in three games played, almost three points per game. Crazy. He is on fire. The New York Rangers themselves are on fire. They did take a loss to the Colorado Avalanche midweek at home, where it has been tough to beat the New York Rangers. Obviously, they're dealing with an injury to Igor Shesterkin, who has been the main reason why this team has been so good this season. But if you look at the performance from everybody else on that team, it's, it's evident that this is going to be a tough out come the Stanley Cup playoffs this year. I mean, Adam Fox on the back end is lighting it up. He's tops in the league for defensive scoring. Obviously, Panarin's having a great season. Zibanejad hasn't even hit full swing. Lafreniere hasn't had a great season to this point. Capo Caco's been better. But you just have to imagine that once they get their guy back, and their guy is Igor Shosturkin in net, plus they have all these guys up front, it's going to be a tough team to beat. They're already a tough team to beat. So we'll see what Alexander Georgiev can do. But my first star of the week is Artemi Panarin. Scores his 500th career point. Where it all started on Tuesday. Back in Chicago. And he has just been lighting it up for the New York Rangers. Obviously leading the team when it comes to points. I believe he's leading the team in goals as well. So the bread man, once again, going to put himself in contention for a Hart Trophy if he continues this, which I, I fully expect. But that is going to do it. For this episode of the Hockey Hotbed, our three stars of the week. Third star, Ryan Johansson of the Nashville Predators. Second star, Jake Gensel of the Pittsburgh Penguins. And the number one star this week, Artemi Panarin of the New York Rangers. Congratulations to those three, all first-time stars here at the Hockey Hotbed. But like I mentioned, that is going to do it. We have a really great weekend of hockey to look forward to starting on Friday night. Tonight, Penguins, Capitals, on ESPN Plus exclusively or Hulu if you like it that way. So let's get ready for a great weekend of hockey, and we'll be back on Tuesday with more storylines, coast-to-coast, and a little bit of discussion on Tuesday's episode of the Hockey Hotbed. So we'll be back, but have a great weekend, hockey fans. We'll see you next week.